Okay, uh, so we've watched the first two games. Uh, ordinarily, we podcast after each game, uh, but I was at the dentist this morning, listeners. So uh, I got to watch the Portugal Morocco game from home before coming in to the Old Red Lion uh, to watch the second game. Well, parts of the second game, Uruguay Saudi Arabia. From the sounds of it, I didn't miss anything too exciting. Uh, two goals this morning: one from Cristiano Ronaldo, one from Luis Suarez. How many times have we said that before? Um, the first game was quite interesting, wasn't it? Because Portugal took quite an early lead. Other than the goal, Ronaldo didn't really do very much, which I suppose isn't saying anything too negative. His job is to be there to score goals. And Morocco made a real go of it and were, I mean, the better team for vast portions of the game, but couldn't quite get that final goal. Uh, no points from two games for Morocco now. It looks unlikely that they will progress. Bit of a shame, really, because we saw we saw a little bit more from players like Hakim Ziyech today, didn't we, Alex? Yes, uh, Ziyech, Belhanda, Amrabat, who didn't look altogether phased by his uh, very clear concussion, although it is, I think, dubious that he was allowed to play. My favourite bit was when he took off his uh, head guard and just discarded it at the side Threw of the pitch. It at the side of the pitch in disgust for some reason. Um, and Morocco uh, pressed extremely well. Um, El Ahmadi, who Martin Keown, I think, decided was called... El Hamidi right um, throughout uh, he was very very good um, Busufa was very good pressing I mean Morocco worked extremely hard they they negated a lot of what Portugal were trying to do in terms of creating movement through the centre of the pitch um, Guedes was very effectively marked out of the game largely except for one chance that he had that brought a really good save um, from Mohamedi uh, kind of a reflex stick in his left arm out mm. and yeah Morocco yeah this was always going to be a tough group um, for any team alongside the two Iberian heavyweights but but Morocco certainly will be uh, missed I think from, from the next stages because yeah. they're, they've looked like a really good side one of the things specifically I wanted to ask you about because this is a, a theme we've been discussing uh, here upstairs at the Old Red Line throughout the tournament uh, is the the lack of pressing, certainly in comparison with teams in, in uh, domestic leagues, for example, where and I think your version on this is that you know with more coaching time, with more time players spent playing together, the you know the easier it is to learn how to press as a team. Players in international teams obviously don't have as as much coaching time with their coaches, don't have as much time playing with the, the teammates, so pressing is something which is quite hard to organise. But Morocco today uh, are one of the teams that we've noticed that pressed very, very vigorously. In fact, at times it almost looks as a, a free-for-all. I'm not sure whether it was or not or, or what your impression of that was, but there were certainly times where three or four Morocco forwards were chasing, chasing the ball wherever it was going. Um, and we haven't seen too much of that in the tournament, have we? No, there's there's been a fair amount of what I'd, I'd probably call kind of half-pressing in the sense that there have been pressing with very distinct triggers, um, but more kind of closing down a space. Maybe there'll be a player that's going towards the player in possession, but then another player uh, marking a passing lane but pressing into that passing lane, mm. um, which is actually something that, that um, Guedes and Ronaldo do up front for Portugal. Um, I've been looking at Iceland uh, for an upcoming video that we've done on them and again there's a similar kind of style there where it's not that kind of constant relentless pressing that really we first started to see I think from Dutch sides in the 1970s 
where it is that kind of helter skelter everybody run towards the ball and try and make the pitch as small as possible it's a more thoughtful um I think yeah Morocco were a lot more like that um but that's not to say that there wasn't a game plan to that it's yeah. it's not simply that they just all rushed at the ball um you could see that that it was generally you know a couple of men were going towards the player in possession then there would be other players looking to fan out and kind of take the passing lanes and it was that front four that was working really really hard with then the defensive midfield pair pushing up either to mark the players that might be a passing option uh, or to close down the space. Well, it was working as well. It, yeah, it did work. Um, look, pressing, if you get it wrong, um, can leave you very vulnerable. Yeah. And in tight tournament football where a loss can mean the end of a campaign, effectively, you know, it's, teams are always wary of committing themselves to a style of defending that can leave them open if they get it wrong. Yeah. Um, it may be that, that Morocco, the, a combination here of of needing to hunt the ball more than they did against Iran because they you know, they had more possession against Iran and they probably expected yeah. that they'd have a lot less possession against Portugal. But also potentially thinking, you know, we've we've got to go for this. This mm. is our one opportunity now to salvage it. Um, Portugal fractionally weaker than Spain um, in terms of the likelihood of getting a result against them so you know, maybe that was part of the, the plan to kind of step things up and, and make it more likely to, to get a victory and to be fair they came close I mean if Zayesh yeah. had shot more effectively again Morocco looked like they suffered from having a really really good quality striker up front mm. um, and you know a bit of a flap from the goalkeeper um uh, much like the Saudi Arabia game, in fact, I, I think there is there is sometimes it's one of those areas that teams do teams where the back line isn't kind of top flight European players. There's a, a lack of organisation around set pieces sometimes. That does sound stereotypical, but the evidence is kind of there. Yeah, um, and uh, and that that was their undoing in this instance. But again, you know, it's Ronaldo. Yeah, like there's. To, to what he's achieved, um, you know, becoming the leading European men's scorer uh-huh. in international football, not overall scorer. Um, that it's just incredibly hard to prevent him from getting a sniff throughout an entire game. Yeah, well, on Portugal, uh, shades of 2016, I think it's fair to say. I saw a few tweets earlier from Tiago, uh, who, who wrote a Brazil video for us, who's, who's done a couple of. Um, Portuguese uh, videos for us in the past and he was saying much the same I think more in relation to his, uh, the negative effect this style of football has on his blood pressure um, <laughs> but it, there certainly are shades of 2016 we spoke about this last night um, and Portugal had impressed, impressed me uh, in their first game this game less so however it's you know the the, the, the outcome the result they managed to get is undeniable really and if you were to imagine what would happen to Portugal in a tough game in in a a successful campaign Ronaldo would score a goal and uh, they'd not concede one and that's exactly what's happened so do, you know taking well, it's like you said about Uruguay mm. uh, as well you know Ronaldo scored one in a tight game Suarez scored one in a yeah, tight game the difference makers that you know the the teams who've like Morocco who've played well but haven't had that edge yeah. that is where that edge is yeah and again, it's the sort of slightly reductive punditry that, that we've heard otherwise. But 
you know, England had Harry Kane. Yeah. And he was able to be in the right place at the right time to put the ball in. And what you're saying about Portugal in 2016, there's there's sort of shades of Uruguay there as well. Yeah. It's, yeah. you know, not shaking out of your way to it, but at the same time, yeah. Yeah. Very strong central defensive pairing. Yeah. Um, a good ball winner in central midfield and a striker up front who will get you a goal by hook or by crook. Mm. Um, I don't know how early Portugal and Uruguay can meet each other. Well, <laughs> a game that, for the ages. Well, wouldn't it be? It um, probably would be. Yeah. Um, well, uh, the, the the incessant traffic noise outside is a, a good a, as good a reminder as any uh, for me to tell listeners again. We are upstairs. At the old Red Lion Theatre, we'll be we'll be here throughout the uh, the tournament. The landlord and the staff very kindly gave us a temporary working space upstairs. Uh, so if you're in London and you fancy going to watch the football somewhere, do come on down. Uh, I tweeted out a little video that the landlord sent me a couple of days ago, just yesterday, I think, actually, of the reaction to the uh, England winner. The atmosphere was great downstairs, and there's a TV in the garden, which is the best thing about the pub, other than the theatre and all the lovely staff. Uh, no. What? What's the best thing about the pub? The dog. Yes. There we go. There's Obviously. a pub dog, Rolo. That's true. We haven't mentioned Rolo before. Rolo spends some of his time up here with us, although it's quite hot on the top floor. Philippe did a nice illustration of him on his... It, you should check out Philippe's Instagram, which is at mm. Fennertown. Mm-hmm. Fenner with two N's. Yeah. Um, and he, he did a picture of Rolo earlier. Right. Okay. Yeah. Nice. What, is, is it not, Rolo or Rolo? Rolo. Mm. Rolo? I don't know if it had two L's or not. No, it's just Rolo, just okay. one L. All right. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, we're here. As I said, if you're in London and you fancy watching the football somewhere, do come down. If you do, send us a tweet and we might come down and say hello. Um, the, let, let's talk about the Uruguay-Saudi Arabia game very briefly. We probably weren't expecting to see much more from Saudi Arabia. Personally, I spent half the time in the bathroom trying to record a voiceover with a sort of a numb lip from my visit to the dentists earlier. So I missed most of what Saudi Arabia showed, if anything. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I sure. think you've answered your own question. Uh, well, let's talk about Uruguay then instead. Um, it might be much we... the same conversation as the one about Portugal. I mean, it is Suarez, the difference maker, uh, not quite, but shithousing their way to six points. Yeah, I think um, just briefly to mention one Saudi Arabian player, uh, Al Shirani. The left-back impressed me in the first game and impressed me again in this game. Mm. Um, Aeroplanes now. (laughs) There's an aeroplane. We're Um, not under a flight path, I promise you. It's not always this loud, but it is rush hour right now, which is why it's so loud outside. We have got the window shut, but uh, this is what happens in central London, guys. Yeah, yeah, he got forward really well. Um, Yeah, I I wouldn't say he's necessarily Premier League standard, but... um, Correct me if I'm wrong, but we pointed him out before the tournament started. We absolutely did. We are and good. That is also the availability heuristic, because right. he's the one with really curly hair. Okay. So he's the one you notice. Right, that's good. Um, that's but useful. he's also good. Um, so, yeah, I think with with Uruguay... Look at you struggle to say anything about <laughs> either no, team. It's Look, it was a rubbish game, to okay. be honest. It was a rubbish game. Uruguay have not gone for a great deal of creativity uh, Betancur is playing in the middle I think probably for additional height uh, Sanchez came in on the right hand side who does add a bit more directness and a bit more pace um, 
Benteke was playing on the right quite a bit in uh, qualification in the friendlies, mm. which allowed Uruguay to see him uh, push up as a kind of long out ball, and it linked the attack in the midfield a bit more on that right-hand side. Yeah, Possibly they thought going through the centre, it would mean they couldn't contest the aerial balls quite so much, which against sides like Saudi Arabia, who are going to play it long, was a weakness. That does make sense. Um but they don't have a player in there really who's capable of kind of uh, creating stuff in the way that, that Lucas Torreira is. Mm-hmm. So I was disappointed not to see him come off. Once again, we saw Diego Godin doing his kind of Franz Beckenbauer-esque forays into central midfield. Yeah. I think that's symptomatic of his frustration about the ponderous nature of Uruguay's build-up play. Yeah. Um, Cavani had one good chance didn't connect with it properly and the, the Saudi Arabian goalkeeper um, Alawis made a pretty decent save uh, Suarez took his chance well it was not vintage mm. but at the same time in these games it doesn't need to be no. it just needs to be enough yeah. and with that central defensive partnership of, of Godin and Jimenez you know, it, it's hard to see a lot of strikers out there who are going to cause them serious problems. Um, Muslera also, very, very respectable goalkeeper. Not one of the world's best, but he's not really going to make mistakes. No. You know, he's not he, He's not the sort of player like a, an Akin Fayev that you look at and think, oh, you know, he's kind of got a wreck in him at some point. Um, so, yeah, kind of what we'd expect from Uruguay, where this was not... One for the ages. The stonker. So looking at the um, looking at the the fixtures and looking at the, the the wall chart we have here as well, it looks like um, Portugal and Uruguay could meet each other in the round of sixteen. Theoretically, Group A winners versus Group B runners up. Group B winners versus Group A runners up. It's difficult to tell at the moment uh, between Uruguay and Russia who's going to go through first in Group A and Group B, presumably. I mean, we're yet to see Spain's second game, but um, but it could be either Portugal or Spain. So maybe Portugal, Uruguay. Wow. <laughs> yeah, Portugal, Uruguay. Let, let's say they were, let's say Spain Portugal, win. Portugal, Uruguay against mm. Russia, Spain. Mm. You'd have one of the potential worst matchups in the tournament versus, yeah. on current form, potentially one of the best. Well, I see. I would quite like to see Russia versus Portugal, um, and assuming that was the case, Spain versus Uruguay. Do you think that would be the end of Uruguay's tournament? I mean, do you think they have they have it in them to, to get past the Spain side? With Isco performing so well, certainly in the first game. Yes, that I look. I don't. I don't think that would be a walkover for Spain by any stretch. Yeah. Um, and the Spanish players are going to know. You know, most of the Spanish players play in La Liga, and they will know Godin and Jimenez very well. Yeah. Um, so they'll have a huge amount of respect, and obviously also Suarez. So. That will be far from easy for them. Um, Portugal Russia would be an intriguing game, yeah. Um, because I I would really, on current form, I would struggle to call that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like we have said about Russia, they've not yet faced a really good striker. Yeah. But by the time the final round of group games has finished, they will have faced two in Cavani and Suarez. Yeah. That will go some way, I think, to indicate to us whether that centre-back pairing as yet untested is capable of dealing with a Ronaldo or not. Yeah. Um, okay. 
Yeah, those those will be interesting. Mm. I, I quite like the fact that Group A is going to go to the wire as well. Yeah, I think so. And it's a tough draw for Group A. I mean, presumably you knew from the beginning you'd likely be being Portugal or Spain, however you finish in Group A. Um, I was going to suggest now that we talk about Germany and Sweden, but because it is so loud outside with uh, the incessant beeping and traffic, I, I suggest that maybe we spend a couple of minutes doing that after the next game. I um, think that's probably a good idea. Yeah, there'll be less traffic then. All right, we're going to settle in for Spain-Iran, and uh, we'll be back later on with more top-quality chat. Okay, well that's the end of the Iran and Spain game. Uh, an own goal pushed forth by Diego Costa, ultimate shithouser, and uh, we love him. The result was uh, an interesting. Well, the result was an expected one, I suppose. But the performance um, of the Iran team was very inspiring, wasn't it? Um, they defended incredibly well for, throughout the first half, and it's a bit of a shame, really, that they couldn't snag a goal towards the end. Of course, they had that disallowed goal for the offside which appears to have been the right decision uh, but it was a, a bit of a doggedly fought game but quite an entertaining one yeah I, I think Iran didn't show as much going forwards as Morocco did against Portugal mm. um, but they well yeah. they didn't need to for much of the game did they no they they. I mean the, Portugal are a more direct side than Spain Spain are obviously looking to create chances from keeping possession and working the ball into dangerous positions Portugal are more inclined to lump it forward which means they're more inclined to give possession away so you can counter more quickly but Iran you know Iran kind of gave as good as they got given the clear disparity in in quality there and it's not over for Iran because if they can beat Portugal they'll go through um, well they'll go through yeah because that win against Morocco so yes it's still um, it's still there for them. I, I was a bit surprised that um, Jan Bakash, I'm not sure if I'm saying his name correctly, um, the top scorer in the Eredivisie, oh, uh, right. didn't come on until quite as late as he did. Johan Bash. Johan Bash, yeah. yeah. Um, because I think at that point, Portugal, uh, Portugal, Iran were... They were never on the front foot in this game, but their counter-attacking where they could was posing Spain some problems. And he's uh, he's a very direct, tricky winger who scores and also creates. So it it perhaps would have made sense maybe to bring him on sort of 15 minutes earlier when there was a bit more... Like, Spain don't panic, but mm. at the same time... There were there were moments of nervousness for them, and and I felt like Kierosh was maybe a little too conservative. Mm. Having said that, you know if he brought him on, then Spain could have gone and scored a couple of goals because mm. they weren't you know as defensively cohesive. So um, it was a bit of a different lineup for Spain as as well. There was some uncertainty before the game, and there's a siren, and there's a siren. There was a little bit of uncertainty before the game as to how they were actually going to line up. But when they started, we noticed that David Silva uh, took more of a central role in this game as opposed to playing out on the right um, against Portugal. Yeah, so we, we did a video um, savvy plug there that we can work in um, comparing how uh, Silva is often played in a kind of high-wide right position um, 
for Spain, but obviously plays as as a kind of what the Spanish call an interior, a kind of eight slash ten yeah. for um, Man City. In this game, he he actually did the latter. He played more of a kind of Man City David Silva uh, alongside um, Sergio Busquets with with Iniesta over doing the same thing on the left hand side, which is Iniesta's kind of most natural position, really. Mm. Um, that allowed Lucas Vasquez to play higher up on the right. I'm I'm guessing kind of with the intention of of trying to get Iran on the back foot by being able to to give width to Spain higher up the pitch so, rather than this inward drift that Silva creates. Do you think this is the sort of thing that would have been plotted out prior to the Portugal game? Is it is it a sort of reactionary thing, uh, or or is this something that they would have thought about before the tournament? This is the way that they'll play against. Arguably, the smaller teams or the more defensive teams against Portugal, they use David Silva on the right and uh, slightly more solid. Yeah, I think that's that's probably true. I mean, it's Spain at times, particularly in the early stages before they kind of got a grip of the game, were also falling back into sort of a four-one-four-one defensive position, mm. and and that makes sense if if Vasquez is on the right, he can play anywhere up that right-hand side. Yeah. Um, it was an important and game. And it was for kind him. of protecting Carvajal a bit as well because mm. it was his first game back from um, injury. So maybe there was a sense of giving Carvajal a little bit of extra protection on that right hand side. Um, Isco, once again, you know, <laughs> Isco kind of nominally starts on the left, but he just goes wherever he wants to go mm. and, and was roaming. Uh, often quite deep and quite centrally, just like he does for a Real Madrid. So Spain were able to to kind of change things up more on the left-hand side. There was a bit more inwards drift and Iniesta pushing up or tucking out and Isco dropping in and pushing across, whereas the right-hand side was perhaps a little more conservative in terms of you know a, a more classic kind of right midfielder, Sava, uh, Silva pushing up and in and Carvajal not getting forward quite so much as Jordi Alba was on the left. Mm, okay. Well, looking at Iran then, they have uh, the Portugal game to come. There's another siren. <laughs> people are out in force tonight. Um, it'll be people upset at that result. No yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, looking looking forward to the Portugal game. A, a draw won't be enough for Iran. They'll have to win. Um, but in a way, you know, that, that's kind of the nice thing about the third games in, in the group stages at these tournaments is everyone going out pretty much knows what they have to do. It will be a change for us from what we've seen Iran do so far because that will mean that they have to start the game and try to get on the front foot as soon as possible rather than sitting back. How do you think they're going to do that? Do you, I mean, presumably Jahan Bash will be starting in that game. I'd like to think so um, because he is he's probably their, their outstanding player. Um, Offensively, I mean, I think Iran have defended very well as a unit um, so far. But mm. like you say, they're going to need to to chase that. Um, you could, defensively, you can probably see the influence of uh, of Carlos Quiroz, who's now been there for seven years. I mean, that makes a big difference, doesn't it? The longevity of his tenure. Oh, definitely, because it allows him to impose a system that players kind of come to the national squad knowing that that's what's expected of them mm. uh, I also wonder given um, possibly that the Iranian league teams and I, I don't know this is supposition but there may be some sort of intention to try and get players to play in a similar sort of system there because mm. 
that way, you know, they, they can they can gravitate to this very clear plan that the Iranian national side have. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are quite a few of the Iranian team that are based in Iran playing in their top division. Um, but yeah, Iran are going to have to to push it. I, if, if unfortunately for them, they're they're playing the team that is most well equipped to mm-hmm. sit back, absorb pressure, and hit you on the break. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I expect that Portugal will go into this game as they've gone into the others, yeah. which is you know not looking to stretch it too much, not looking to to pour people forwards, um, and you know kind of arranging themselves in such a way as to facilitate Ronaldo getting chances. And the Iranian goalkeeper made a couple of good saves, but he did also look slightly suspect in terms of his judgment of coming for balls. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know with with the quality of, of crosses that they can get in and Ronaldo in the air that that is going to cause Iran problems yeah well for Spain going forwards now they won't be wholly comfortable in the sense that uh, they need at least a draw to confirm going through or I suppose even actually if Iran well, well I mean really they need to win to confirm to go through um, if Iran were to draw for example and Spain were to lose I think the goal difference would be the same, therefore it would come down to head-to-head, in which case Spain will go through. So they won't be too nervous, although we've seen more surprising results than uh, Iran beating Portugal so far in the tournament. It could always happen. So Spain presumably will be going out into that Morocco game, um, looking to win to confirm that move forwards. For, for Morocco, how do you think they'll come out from a psychological point of view? Because obviously they're out of the tournament now, there's nothing that they can do uh, to progress any further. Portugal and Spain already have more points than they could earn through one win. So what do you think happens at this, that, that sort of stage in, 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 in the group stages of a tournament like this? How will they come out and play for pride, as the ITV pundits would no doubt say? <laughs> yeah, I think they'll probably play exactly how they played against Portugal. Yeah, um, I think they'll, they'll press intensively, they'll look to win the ball back high, and um, they'll look to try and get uh, Zayesh and to dangerous areas where he can I mean this the Spanish back line has not looked super solid mm. um, I've seen a few people on Twitter saying that PK's not had the best tournament so far mm. um, he looks a little bit wobbly at times today he does and and I think you know if there's one area of the pitch yeah okay Ramos and PK are vastly experienced mm. but they are also uh, you know they've, they've played very very long seasons they're ever presence for their club you know there is a an argument to say that maybe there's there's a little bit of freshness that could come into that and and you do worry with Spain you know what would what would happen if someone were to injure either of them because mm. they seem so kind of you know that Spain don't rotate an enormous amount i mean obviously the Vasquez changed today but but by and large they they do play fairly uh, consistent first 11s mm. and, and while that deepens understanding and there's obviously a strong argument for that particularly when you play the way that Spain plays if you suddenly have to make a change then is it that easy to adapt um, so I, I'm not I, I wouldn't expect to see Spain you know rotate an enormous amount for this they might bring Koke in because um, Koke is able to uh, provide a little bit more physicality in central midfield which I think could yeah. benefit them against uh, the Moroccan press it's good as as we saw with Loftus-Cheek playing for England it's good to have yeah. a player who can take the ball under pressure and, and hold it for that little bit longer in central midfield before releasing it well, you and could give Iniesta a break as well 
before the round of 16. Yeah, that's not a bad idea, and I think I think as well if Carvajal starts again, which I expect they'll want him to because he, he is their first choice. It's, it's a real shame we've not seen Audrey Zoli yet, actually, mm. but it does make sense from that perspective of protecting Carvajal and not asking too much of him, yeah. um, of, of k- keeping uh, Vasquez uh, yeah. at right uh, attacking midfield. What about Asensio? Because we saw him come on there in the latter stages of that game. Uh, he's a player that we've profiled in the past, uh, a script written by Simon Harrison, an exciting young player for Real Madrid. It'd be nice to see more of him, and if the pressure can be off a little bit in the next game against Morocco, I and mean, perhaps that's saying too much, but is there any chance that we might see him get a starting berth? Um, potentially, if, if they rest Iniesta and they don't change their set up in terms of where Silva plays mm. then Asensio could be the guy to come in for him either with Isco dropping back and playing the Iniesta role or Asensio playing the Iniesta role which mm. he can do and, and has he's played further back for Real Madrid um, so yeah I I mean obviously I don't know what Fiendo Yero is going to do because I'm not him mm. um, but it, it would make sense probably to give Iniesta a bit of a break yeah. um, in a game where Spain will still be confident of securing a result even with the pressure of probably needing to. Yeah. Well, OK, uh, we, we did mention earlier on that we were going to have a quick word on Germany. Let's do that now because there's less traffic outside. Mm. Uh, Germany have got Sweden to play either tomorrow or, or the next day. I can't remember when. Um, we're making a video uh, about how Mexico managed to beat them earlier on uh, in the tournament. And I wondered what you'll be expecting to see from Germany against Sweden, because it'll be a very different sort of side that they're going to be playing. You would have thought the Germans will come out looking to right the wrongs that they presented in the first game. Um, and also, I mean, since they're on zero points, from a more pragmatic perspective, really, it's a must-win game. And this <laughs> poses a real dilemma for Joachim Lowe, um, because... Germany's issue straightforwardly in that game against Mexico was was leaving too few people back in the central midfield area. Um, you know, often Tony Cruz kind of on his own mm. with only Bertang and Hummels behind him. Sometimes even where they were so caught on the break, it was basically Bertang against two or three Mexican uh, attackers. Mm. So on the one hand, you would think if you look at the problems that, Me- that, that Mexico caused Germany you bring in a more solid defensive midfielder or you at the very... I know what you're nodding at me. Yes, we are talking about Sebastian Rudy. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or you say to to Kadira, you know, hold your position a lot more Mm. than you were doing. Having said that, like you say, while that would mitigate against the issues that they suffered in the Mexico game, Sweden are a different proposition. They're absolutely not as quick or as counter-attacking aside, mm. um, they're pretty conservative in the way they win the ball back and then and then try and get it back to the, the back line before going more direct. And they already won their first game and I think would be very happy with a draw. Yes, that's also true. In that regard, Lur's temptation would probably be to stay almost as attacking, potentially even ramp it up a little bit. Mm. Uh, against you know, and, and towards the end of that Mexico game, he was playing Cruz and Özil as a double midfield pivot, which mm. to me I have to say seemed insane given mm. the circumstances. Yeah, um, it far bit for me to question the decisions of an international manager who's won lots and lots of stuff, but it it seemed like a really We're doing weird it all decision. Day here. 
Um, well, I know, actually, I don't think we do do that that much. I'm doing it in my head. Okay, fine. Questioning clothes choices. Uh, questioning that forward roll throw-in. I don't like that suit. I'd rather a track suit or, you know, um, the forward roll throw-in. Yeah, the let's, forward roll let's throw-in. not talk about that. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. The, the, I think... I think the desire to get the three points and and the recognition that Sweden are a more prosaic team will probably outweigh the desire mm. to firm up the midfield. Having said that, it's a game that Germany clearly should be winning and it makes sense to get the team used to playing slightly more pragmatically by bringing that midfielder in earlier. Mm. So if I were Joachim Löw, um, I would drop Kadira bring in Rudy, keep the lineup otherwise the same, and be fairly confident of winning. Yeah, okay. Well, France-Peru is also tomorrow, which is quite exciting. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, but for now, I think we're going to wrap things up. It's the end of day seven. We're upstairs at the Old Red Lion Theatre. Come on down. We're having a lovely time, um, but we are getting a bit tired now. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know about you, but I'm... I'm, I'm flagging at this point. Well, tomorrow, uh, or depending on when you're listening to this, the, what day is it? Wednesday today. Thursday, day number eight, uh, we have a video going out on uh, Lionel Messi, um, how he plays with Barcelona compared to how he plays with Argentina. Uh, so look forward to that. Um, and there's plenty more to come from the TIFO YouTube channel, Iceland, Senegal, Mexico, Germany. We're, we're lining it all up, so look forward to that. Uh, but yeah. Chat to you tomorrow. Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com.